Hello, everybody. You are tuned into the Walk Off Podcast. I'm your host, Justin. Here I have Leroy and Davis. Uh, how are you doing today, man? Hey, guys, doing good. Bit cold, ready for spring and spring training and all it brings, but uh, but doing well otherwise. Doing good. The off season's really heating up. We got a lot to talk about, and the sports world. It's it's a great time with the Super Bowl coming up. So I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, I think this is going to be a, a fun episode here. We're going to start off with uh, something that happens every year in baseball, but this is something we have not seen in a while. Actually, here we uh, saw the Hall of Fame votes the other day, and actually, not a single person was voted in. No, not a not a person got that uh, 75% vote there. I was kind of surprised here. I really thought this was the year Kurt Schilling was going to, um, you know, break the mold, finally get in there. And a couple of these other big names that were really close. I mean, you look at Kurt Schilling, he was at 71%. I know at one point yesterday, he was at like 73 So we saw that was pretty close. We thought he was finally going to get in there. But as I said, yet again, another year, not a single person uh, made it. And I'll start with you, Davis, real quick. I want to hear what you think about this Hall of Fame vote this year. Sure. I mean, you know, I'm not really going to speak much on Bonds or Clemens because I don't think there's, I just don't think there's much to be said. That hasn't already been said countless times on sports radio and TV for years now. So if you cheat at a sport, you don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. It's plain and simple. Um, You know, if Pete Rose is banned from baseball, I don't even think Bonds or Clemens should be on the ballot. Um, But that's a conversation for a different day. So, you know, I know Leroy's got a lot uh, cooking up about shillings. I, I have some opinions. I think it's an odd case. I think there's, you know, two sides to it. And I think it's just, I don't think anybody was surprised by it, though, I'll be honest. You know, the news didn't surprise me, didn't surprise most of the experts, but it is certainly newsworthy. And um, I'd like to hear your guys' opinions. Yeah, I certainly think um, the way this voting does work is a little odd. I do think there needs to be a little more power in the, uh, the fans, because, you know, we are the ones that are, you know, watching a lot of times with these writers, especially in this day and age where we know they're they're hooked on the old style of baseball. I mean, it is hard for a lot of these players to get in. But um, before we go any farther, I want to hand it over to Leroy. He has one of his uh, famous rants for us. So we're going to kick it off with another edition of Line Drives with Leroy. Maybe soon to be famous. Um, you know, just just real quick, I'll preface this by saying, you know, I, I don't mean to sound negative about the game of baseball. I absolutely love the game. Um, I grew up watching and playing. Um, I love to watch. I think it's a beautiful sport, probably the most beautiful sport um, out there. But um, I also think that, that baseball is... Um, the most poorly run of all of the professional sports. And I don't even think it's close, honestly. Um, if, if the NFL is a 10 in the way it's run, uh, baseball is like a negative 13. And uh, the Hall of Fame just kind of, you know, it kind of points to um, to more of that uh, in the way it's run. I mean, I mean, let's think about it real, real quick. What is the Hall of Fame? You know, it's a museum. It's a museum of baseball's history that we can go visit. Um, but yet we... The visitors, we don't have a say in what's included in that, uh, to your point, Justin. Um, it's members, you know, the, the people that we hold up and say, these are the heroes of our sport. These are the ones that you should look up to and want to be like and and uh, and and strive to, to match their accomplishments. They're inducted by sports writers, uh, none of whom majored in baseball history, majored in baseball statistics, um, none of whom even played in, in Major League baseball there may be one or two exceptions but i don't know of any and and you know they judge players not just based on their baseball prowess um they judge them based on what purity integrity friendliness even um you know all of these qualities um that have nothing to do with baseball and are impossible to judge um they're constantly changing within the context of of our society um, but yet these baseball writers talk about players deserving uh, being in the Hall of Fame. And, and to me, that's just kind of a, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a holier than thou uh, attitude. Um, just, you know, just to think about, just, just base it off a strictly baseball numbers perspective. I mean, numbers change in, you know, in 
20 years ago, 300 wins automatically got you into the Hall of Fame. We may not see 300 wins again. And that doesn't mean a player is not deserving of the Hall of Fame. That just means that the way we do uh, things now are different. Um, we don't see players going the, the five-plus innings to get to get a win like they used to. There's the five-man rotation. Um, yet we've we've kind of nailed this down as going, eh, 300 wins. And, and, you know, you mentioned Kurt Schilling, and I'm not even going to go into Kurt Schilling, uh, his candidacy, um, whether it be, you know, baseball on the field or off the field. Um, but, you know, one of the things that people were saying about Kurt Schilling is that he doesn't have enough wins. Well, wins, you know, you know, it's one of those stats that's just, it's just come to be kind of, a. It's, it doesn't mean as much as it used to. Um, you know, the numbers change when it comes to baseball prowess. The votes seem a little bit arbitrary. There seems to be no consistent standard. You know, when it comes to numbers, again, 500 numbers is an automatic, right? That gets you into the Hall of Fame. Unless you're Jim Tomei, who has 612, yet he's out there not in the Hall of Fame. It just it just doesn't make no sense. Um you know, and and so let's let's turn a little bit to the off the field stuff. Um, again, these baseball writers are in charge of uh, determining what's you know what's bad behavior, what's a dastardly behavior that pre- that that says you don't get in but you do. And you know, Davis, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Um, you know, you said if you're a cheater, you don't belong in the Hall of Fame. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with that. However, there needs to be some consistency. And when we talk about Clemens and Bonds, who are cheaters, right? We're not going to argue that. Um, We can't mention Barry Bonds not being in the Hall of Fame and not mention Whitey Ford, who freely admitted to doctoring the baseball when he pitched. And, and, you know, it, we joke about it. We laugh about it. Well, cheating is cheating. Um, you know, and, and we can't say, you know, Roger Clemens doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame because he cheated, but it's okay for Mike Smith to admit in his book that he took greenies. As a matter of fact, the whole, from the 70s to the 90s, everybody took greenies. They all did. Mike Smith, Ted Williams was, is the one credited, in quotations, for bringing greenies into Major League Baseball. Ted Williams. Willie Mays was accused of having greenies in his locker room. Goose Gossage admitted to taking greenies. And, and you know, you, you can compare. Are there degrees of cheating? I don't know. But, um, you know, we all know the effects of steroids. We know what they do to your body, and they know what they do. But listen to the effects of, of greenies, amphetamines, amphetamines, a, a, a precursor to methamphetamines. Um, they speed up your heart rate. They heighten your senses. They heighten your alertness. They heighten your aggressiveness. They heighten your reaction time. Does that sound like a performance-enhancing drug to you? It sounds like one to me. In, in his book, Mike Schmidt, who again admitted to taking greenies, said the elimination of greenies could have a far greater impact on the game of baseball than taking steroids. But we're saying these are okay. These are not. This is a performance-enhancing drug. Uh, you can't take this and get into the Hall of Fame, but this is, and you cannot. And and let's not forget, uh, when it comes to steroids, that we have people that are highly suspected. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think Bonds was noted as, at one point, testing positive. But I don't think Clemens was. I don't think Clemens ever tested positive. We might need to fact check that. But we also know that Pudge Rodriguez was suspected of taking steroids. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Jeff Bagwell was suspected of taking steroids. He's in the Hall of Fame. Mike Piazza was suspected of taking steroids. He's in the Hall of Fame. And what's the difference in those guys and Bonds and Clemens, McGuire and Sosa, Pudge, uh, Bagwell, Piazza, they're all considered to be nice guys, right? They're nice guys. So we let them in. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, in, in, in doing some research, uh, Mike Schmidt was, uh, was not a unanimous uh, Hall of Famer. As a matter of fact, no one has been except for Mariana Rivera. And one of the voters that didn't vote for Mike Schmidt didn't vote for Mike Schmidt because he didn't like that he never saw Mike Schmidt uh, sign autographs. He didn't like that he felt that Mike Schmidt didn't help the younger players uh, out when they when they came into the game. So he didn't vote for him. It had nothing to do with baseball. It had to do with what he thought 
was a bad person. So, so that just kind of turns me to another uh, point of this ridiculousness that is the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame is this unanimous vote. Um, so this year, they didn't find anyone worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Um, that's fine. You know, maybe there isn't anyone on the ballot that, that quite deserves, although we could argue, right, Bonds and Clemens and, and Kurt Schilling. Um, but let's not forget that in 2014, 16 baseball writers looked at their ballot and decided that Greg Maddox did not deserve their check mark. Blows my mind. Three people looked at their ballot and decided that Ken Griffey Jr. did not deserve their check mark. Nine people, nine people looked at their ballot and decided that Hank Aaron did not deserve their check mark. Hank Aaron. Now, I'll let you draw your own conclusions as to why some people may not have voted for Hank Aaron as part of the Hall of Fame, but it, it just blows my mind. However, David Sagi, does that does that name ring a bell? We're Orioles fans. I'm a little older than you guys. David Sagi was a role player for the Orioles back in the I don't know early '90s. Not a good play. He wasn't a good baseball player by any stretch of the imagination. When we get done the podcast, go look uh, look at his stats. He got a vote. He got a vote. Why? How do you get a vote when you're David Sagi? Because he knew Pat Henkin. Pat Henkin, go look that name up. He got a vote. Why? Because you know somebody, you're friends with somebody, you treated somebody's kid nice one time and gave him an autograph. That absolutely ridiculous. Should never happen. And the last thing on this ridiculousness that is the Baseball Hall of Fame voting is, is how you suddenly gain votes over the course of your uh, Hall of Fame eligibility. Um, it, it blows my mind. You know, Andre Dawson. Andre Dawson was a Good player. He was a good player. Won an MVP award in, in 87. Um, hit a lot of home runs. He was a very good player. And when he became eligible for the Hall of Fame in 2002, he got 45% of the vote. Uh, why? Because most people thought Andre Dawson was what he was. He was a really good player. By 2009, he had 77% of the vote. How do you gain 32% more vote in seven years, when your statistics don't change, your resume is the same as it was. How do you gain votes? I just don't get it. You know, uh, Larry Walker's an even bigger example. When he first became eligible, he got 10% of the vote. Ten, no, I'm sorry, 6% of the vote. So he shouldn't have even stayed on the ballot. He got 6% of the vote because he didn't deserve to be in. He ended up with 76% of the vote and, and of course, got into to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. They, you know, the whole thing is ridiculousness. Um, the the way that that we vote. I mean, we allow bad players in. Bruce Suter, Bruce Suter's in the Hall of Fame. Bruce Suter was a decent reliever in the '80s. Bill Mazeroski's in the Hall of Fame. He has a .299 career on base percentage. .299. He wouldn't even he w he wouldn't even be on a team that, uh, right now. Uh, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson. Barely made it into the Hall of Fame. He got 77.5% of the vote. He got four more votes than you needed to get into the Hall of Fame. If that doesn't tell you how ridiculous this is, then then I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you know, we can't judge it by, you know, bad people. Kurt Schilling, if you, if you think he's a bad person, I, I'm fine with that. But if you're keeping him out of the Hall of Fame because you think he's a bad person, then you need to go do some research on Roger Hor Rogers Hornsby, who was a noted racist, on Ty Cobb, who was one of the nastiest people in the world. We cannot allow people in the Hall of Fame based on uh, their personality traits if we're not going to go back and kick some folks out. Um, you know, we cannot hold people like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens out of the Hall of Fame because of their steroid use, but allow their enabler, Bud Selig. Bud Selig enabled this. He turned a blind eye to, to steroids um, for, for years. And and yet he's in the Hall of Fame. And and if you and if you believe Bud Selig's story that he didn't know, then we have to believe people like Clemens who say, "No, I never did it." Um, it's it's just ridiculous. So you know what? For me, the Hall of Fame will live in my mind. I'll go back. I'll, I'll consider guys like Bonds and Clemens because I watched them play. 
the best players I've ever seen. I'll go back and watch their YouTube video, and who cares? They don't get a plaque in some uh, museum who's who's voted on by by a bunch of guys that that happened to write about the sport or did write. We write about the sport. We should get a vote, right? So anyway, you know, I'm going I'm to close it up with that. I think the I think the Hall of Fame is a farce. I think it's a fraud for, for baseball. And unless they make some changes, it's going to continue to be that. And, um, you know, we, we shouldn't hang our hats as baseball fan on some arbitrary vote by some uh, by some members who write who write about the sport. That's that's it for me. Yeah. I mean, Leroy, that was probably my favorite reign of yours so far. In the time that I've known you, that was great. But you bring up a lot of good points. When when I was growing up, and um, you know, paying attention to the Hall of Fame, you're you're always told the Hall of Fame is the players who are the best at their position in their respective times. And I mean, there's absolutely nothing off of the field that has to do with how they are, you know, skill wise on the field. And then when it comes to a, it's kind of like a popularity contest, you know. And just the problem is, you're getting voted on by lord knows who group of men that don't have any wherewithal of today's baseball as you're saying which is a very good point so um of course we all love the hall of fame but i don't put too much stock in it myself anyway um i think the baseball hall of fame is a lot weirder to get into than you know a lot of the other hall of fames you watch the nfl that seems like they get it right every year like spot on that's it you know and that, and that's the thing you have to think about like we don't we don't have these conversations around any other hall of fame except maybe the wwe but of course that's 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 some arbitrary pick by one man we don't have these conversations around other people we argue a little about a bit about who should be in and who shouldn't but we don't say this is a bad person this person cheated da, 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 da. it it just it is what it is you know, but in baseball, uh, because of the way it's run, it, you know, we 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 argue about it. And, and you know, when when you see someone that just did not someone didn't vote for Ted Williams to get into the Hall of Fame, admittedly, because he had a personal grudge. What? I mean, I think with a lot of these players, there's really nothing else beyond that. But then the problem is you give these people the voting power, then it. it it, it does matter, you know, because that's that's what's determining. And the thing is, I believe it's that there's only so many votes you can give out on a ballot. And my biggest thing with this is if you're sitting there between two guys and say, for example, just on this ballot, you, you've got your two, you got your one vote left and you've got Kurt Schilling or or someone else and say Manny Ramirez in this case is and you, you look at, you know, deservingly Kurt Schilling deserves this vote as Manny Ramirez was never a bad baseball player. In my opinion, he's. One of the greatest I've seen, he was, you know, my generation. Um, but then they say, you know, I'm going to vote for this other guy because he is kind of a jerk. And that really doesn't make sense because you want to go by the logic you said, Lee, worry about uh, talking about how players, maybe they might not help the younger players. Let's look at um one here in the NFL. If we're going to go by that logic, Brett Favre isn't in the Hall of Fame because he was mean to Aaron Rodgers. And what is Brett Favre, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time is jared hobson on this one he would agree with me but going by that logic it, it you're completely right and the fact that with baseball and there's so many more players to look at in terms of what they play i do think it is um a little ridiculous luckily i think when we look forward to next year who might be on the ballot i think we're going to have a little more of a straightforward ballot then but we saw how this one even kurt Schilling went as far to request to be removed from the um from the ballot as well i thought that speak volumes because to my knowledge that's the only person i've seen that has done that now correct me if i'm wrong but as far as i know i've never heard of that before there was one person and i cannot think of who it was but i'll go back and do do a little research um there was one person that uh, requested to be taken off the ballot and he was not that that request was not honored and i don't think uh kurt shillings will will be honored either but you know justin just just to go back to something you mentioned earlier that's one of the one of the issues is you know why do we have a limited number of votes if there are 15 players deserving to be in the hall of fame why aren't you voting for 15 players? Um, you know, it, and, and that's part of why, you know, people hold back their votes. and Oh, I'm going to vote for this guy in two years, but I'm not going to vote for him now. Um, you know, you vote in who's who's deserving. And, um, 
and you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't have the answer, and and maybe maybe that's a little bit hypocritical to come out with the criticisms without the answer. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the four of us, you, uh, me, and and Jared could could probably get in a room and come up with a system that's better than what's out there right now. Yeah, I always thought it was odd with baseball how it's almost not even like is this player going to make the Hall of Fame? It's more so is this player going to beat out the other players that are next to him on the ballot for the Hall of Fame? And that's what really doesn't make sense there to me because hall of fame players get snubbed because there's slightly better hall of fame players taking the limited number of votes on their ballot just just one more point on this and then i'll then i'll let it go one of the one of the issues too and i I don't know if this is true in other sports is that that the ballots are you are are, uh, anonymous and and i really think if we started publishing people's ballots to hold them a little bit accountable because i want to know i want who did not vote for greg maddox you've got some explaining to do who did not vote for hank aaron you have got some explaining to do um you know what i mean uh who didn't vote for cal ripken i mean Somebody didn't vote for Cal Ripken. You you need to you need to have your feet held to the fire and explain to us. Maybe it's a decent explanation. I don't know. Someone didn't vote for Nolan Ryan, and they said, you know, um, Nolan Ryan's career win percentage was five, you know, point five. Um, it's, it's a ridiculous reason, but at least it's it's something. These guys get to hide behind a, a curtain of anonymity and don't have to tell us why they're not voting for folks. And and maybe that's maybe that's step one, making the ballots public. Yeah, I actually don't think that's a bad idea. Luckily, in today's world, um, I remember the other year when Derek Jeter missed what was it that one vote. Um, I think through the power of social media, they did almost confidently figure out who it was. But you know, as these young digital FBI agents can do. We couldn't do before so not being anonymous certainly would would help that issue but we're going to move on here talking about hall of famers so we're going to talk about possibly one of the greatest hall of famers ever um hank aaron actually just passed away this past week at the age of 86 um i was going to mention something when we talked about the hall of fame a big part of that is you're looking at the best players of their time and there's always a standard you compare them to when you say oh this guy is a hall of famer like blank and blank i think there's no questions asked anywhere in the sports world not even just baseball um hank aaron certainly one of those guys when you say is this guy a hall of famer oh can he hit like hank aaron you know that kind of sets the standard there i want to pick out one thing before i go to you both that this has always struck me as absolutely wild when it comes to hank aaron as we know 3000 hits is one of the greatest accomplishments in the entire world i mean there was a whole movie about you know the guy coming back and trying to get his 3000 hits it's incredible seeing someone do this while hitting 3000 hits hank aaron still hit 755 home runs right Take out every single one of his 755 home runs, and guess what he still has? is over 3,000 hits, and I think that is incredible. In today's MLB, you will never, maybe other than Mike Trout, and in, in, from what I can think of right now, never ever will see someone that can hit a home run like him get on base and hit for average at the same time, and that's something, you know, again, when I look at the numbers, that just sticks right out. You know, take out every single one that he you know we can say is the rightful home run king you can take out the home run kings every single home run and he's still a 3,000 you know hit guy that puts you in the hall of fame itself but um i want to go to you davis first and see what you have to say about the legend yeah i think it's pretty refreshing and interesting to move from this talk about bonds and clemens and hall of fame stuff to hank aaron who is just it's a testament to him that many of us consider to be him the all-time home runs leader you can debate that all you want and just to circle back you know it, it's just been a weird week for the mlb and leroy's starting to rub off on me a little bit he takes his shots every week you know at the at the sport but it's like days after you wanted you're probably your greatest player if not you know top three all-time one of the greatest athletes in all sports and then two days later the headlines are all about this hall of fame you know controversy it's just baseball just can't win right now i mean they're with the viewership stuff the pay cuts we're losing minor league teams and it's supposed to be a sport stuck in the past but we can't even you know the past is tainted we can't even decide who's making the hall of fame or not so it's just you know moving on to the hank aaron stuff i think it's pretty nice to look back at just a real genuine athlete and just a great persona off the field too and the numbers are just astounding if you really look at it season by season i i've never seen anything like it such consistency in almost any sport 
and he was an all-star for 20 straight seasons, which is insane. LeBron has been an all-star for, I think, 16 or 17, and he'll probably break that, but I can't think of another athlete in any other sport who will come close to that. I mean, 20 years in a row of just these incredible RBI numbers. It's And all of this was being done, you know, receiving constant hatred and death threats because of the color of his skin in a very different time in America, and I think that's just a testament to who he was. And playing in Atlanta, nonetheless, um, becoming a hero of that town uh, and a hero of the sport of baseball, I think, just carries even more weight than his numbers. And not only that, but, you know, just his character. If You know, this is before my time, but if you've ever seen anything about him, you, you know his character. And I think uh, the memorial actually was a pretty good reflection of that, too. I don't No one hardly mentioned his stats. You know, it was all about the person he was, the impact he had, and not just in sports, but just the entire country in a, in a much different time. And the thing Chipper Jones said I really liked, um, the when he was getting drafted, I guess Atlanta's front office was kind of back and forth on whether or not they're going to draft him or not. And I guess it was Hank who was kind of the final decide, you know, deciding vote that they should get Chipper Jones. And obviously that was a great decision. And I think that's just a testament to his knowledge of baseball and of character because Chipper Jones is, you know, a great person as well. So, I mean, he'll live on forever. The Henry Lewis Aaron fund will, is going to work to, I think, you know, promote minorities throughout sports and players, coaches, personnel. So his impact will live on far far past uh his death and same thing as his numbers will as well he's he's a legend that will never be forgotten you know uh, just hearing hearing you guys talk about hank aaron gives me chills a little bit um i i think about hank aaron almost every time i watch a baseball game um as i'm as i'm watching a game and and the batters of today i, I really sound like an old man sometimes as the batters of today stand in and you know take ball one and step out readjust their gloves step back in take strike strike one step out readjust their gloves hank aaron hit 755 home runs using nothing but dirt he never he never wore a batting glove if that doesn't talk about toughness and just the way the game has changed it just blows my mind um you know the you know one thing i think about when i think about hank aaron um he's the all-time leader in total bases Hank Aaron hit 70 home runs off of future Hall of Famers. We, we can go on and on. You know, Davis mentioned, you know, the, the 20 All-Star games. We all we all know about the 755 home runs. We could go on and on and on about his accomplishments on the field. Um, but, you know, it takes a special person to do what he did off the field. Um, so, you know, he accumulated stats on the field. He was the recipient of the president presidential medal of freedom in 2002. Um, he may have done more in his lifetime to promote baseball to inner city, low income and minority youth than anyone in the history of the game. Um, so, you know, a legend gone and, and, uh, you know, his, his character matched his, his play on the field, um, probably went through more on the field and off the field than anyone except for Jackie Robinson, honestly. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, sad day for baseball. Um, but, you know, lucky for us, Hank, Hank's legacy uh, will live on. Yeah, I truly think, um, I mean, me and Davis can certainly vouch for this being the younger generation. When, when you, th- Hank Aaron is one of the people, when you think baseball, you think Hank Aaron. It's just synonymous, one, one with the other. When you think, same thing when you think of people like Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig, I mean, you think Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, then you get down and you think Hank Aaron. I mean, he's one of them. And that uh, that's something, the way we look at the way Jackie Robinson is held on his standard in the MOB nowadays, which is very good and he should be, I really hope Hank Aaron is looked at in the same way for not only what he has done on the field, but I think to see what he did off the field is also a very important thing for players and fans um, today. I definitely think we could use a dose of Hank Aaron in the league right now. I think you could all certainly agree with that. You know, So going forward, I'm going to be really interested to see how they – um how they tribute to Hank Aaron. I, I saw talks of people believing they should retire his number 44 universally around the league. Um, I want to check with both of you real quick before we move on and what you guys would think about that. Personally, I mean, I think 44 is an odd looking number anyway. I mean, I think he deserves that, but I think when you look at it in the sense of what I'm saying, it's more than the number 44, you know, it's what that 44 in blue on a, throwback Braves uniform means. And I think that means a lot more for baseball than 755 home runs. But 
I'll go to you, Davis. I want to know what you think about retiring that number. Um, I think, you know, that's a number, like you said, it is kind of an odd number now. Uh, we don't see it often, but it's, it's certainly a legendary one. And I don't know. I mean, I think it's kind of one of those, you know, if you wear 23 in basketball, you better be good. You know, I think it's one of those things. And I think Hank himself, I can't, obviously can't speak on him, but I would, I would think he would like to see young players wearing it, but I would also respect it if they retired it as well, but, uh, it'll certainly live on no matter what. Uh, Davis, you said you feel like Hank himself would want to see young uh, young people wearing it. it takes me back to a quote that I heard from from Hank Aaron one time. He said, um, you know, someday someone, um, whether they be white or, or African-American, is going to break my record. And he said, and I'm going to be rooting for them the whole time. I agree with you, Davis. I don't think that's something that, that just knowing uh, what we know about Hank Aaron, I don't think that's something he would want. Um, but, uh, you know, I like your point, Justin, the, uh, or, or maybe it was you, Davis, that said it, you know, if you're wearing that number, you better be good. Um, so I don't know if I agree with the, the retiring of the numbers. I think you start to get into a Pandora's box here. And, and at some point, you know, where, where do we stop? Are we out of numbers? So we're just, you know, the player 1K coming at the, coming at the, at, to the plate. Um, but, you know, uh, one of the things, if I could just say one more thing about Hank Aaron, um, you know, each sport has their iconic moments um, that uh, any fan of the sport should be able to just, just kind of watch and go, yep, I've seen that before. And, you know, Hank Aaron's uh, breaking of Babe Ruth record, Ruth's record and running around the bases and the, and the people running and jumping around him. It's just one of those iconic moments in sports that may be one, maybe top 10, maybe even higher than that uh, as far as iconic, uh, iconic moments in sports um, that if, if you've never seen it, you've got to go back and watch it. Yeah, I actually just watched the video clip of that earlier. It certainly is um it's definitely a sports moment of all time. You definitely want to check that. And I thought that was that was a cool thing what you said, Leroy, about how he said um whoever would go to break his record, he'd be rooting for him. I think that kind of goes to show the kind of person he is, because as we know, every single year when the NFL team that's the last undefeated loses the 72 Dolphins pop champagne and celebrate, you know, them still being the only one we got to see it this past year when when the lowly Steelers finally lost their game, they they all pushed the video to the Washington football team. Shout out my team. Uh, yep. Even even better. If do you remember there was a video of them on sports and on Instagram, all popping champagne. You had Larry Zonka at what age he is now, look like he could still go uh seventeen and zero. But I thought, yeah, it's a really good um way to look at how great of a person Hank Aaron is, I think, in itself. So that's very great to see. But now we're going to get into some actual baseball here. Uh, finally, um, we're going to talk about a big free agent that we've been waiting to sign. Uh, and JT Real Muto actually finally signs back to the Phillies, the five-year, $115.5 million deal. Um, now, I think it's real interesting. It's hard for any team, especially when you just had this kid to say, oh, we're not going to re-sign him. But um, I don't know. It, it's just... That seems like a lot of money over those five years for a Phillies team who's really going to be in the hurting for money here soon as they're not really in contention for that division they're in to begin with, you know? So, I mean, good job on the Phillies. He's obviously he's a, the best catcher you could want any one of your pitchers to throw to. There's no doubt about that. But I want to go to you, Davis. I want to see what your thoughts are on this Real Muta finally signing with somebody. Yeah, I think it's a big deal. I, um, it's a big signing. I think it's the most Philly thing ever that this roller coaster offseason JT has. He ends up back with the Phillies. I mean, like, how do you feel about the confidence your team has in you after all that? But no, I think it's the business of it. You know, LeMayhew, same thing. Um, but I just want to look at the NL East a little bit. The Nationals, you know, quietly made some good moves, and the Mets have obviously improved exponentially. And they might still not be done yet. And then we got the Braves, who were a game away from being the Dodgers. And then even the Miami Marlins made a little run last year. So, I think the Phillies had to make this move in order to stay competitive in the NL East. I, I don't see any way that they could have let him walk and then still been competitive. So you got your two anchors in Harper and Real Muto, and Harper spent the whole season trying to get the team to re-sign Real Muto. So you, you got to imagine that appeases him. He would have been just pissed all year long had they not brought back who I think is the best catcher in baseball. I think many could make that argument. But uh, you just, you know, you got to build around it now. They got the best catcher in baseball who's going to make your bullpen a lot better, but they need to get, you know, get a couple pitchers in there, I think, and maybe solidify that outfield. But I just think the Phillies, this is a move they had to make. I think 
waiting so long to do it doesn't look good. Uh, but you, ultimately, JT could have gone to the Mets or another team in the division too. So it's just a move they had to make in order to stay competitive. And a team in Philadelphia is not going to just you know sit and let everyone walk and have a terrible year. So uh, I think it's just a move they had to make, and we'll see where they go from here. Yeah, I, I completely agree with with Davis. They they had to do this, right? They had to keep at least keep. Uh, I don't want to say keep pace with the with the Mets and Braves, but at least not fall further behind on the field and and you know off the field. I think this is a nice, uh, you know, a nice little olive branch to their fans who, um, you know, Philly fans are tough, and uh, and Philly struggle. <laughs> they've struggled a little bit since winning that World Series, you know, fifteen years ago or so. Um, you know, the the thing about this signing with Real Muto is is, um, you know, he's 30, 30 years old and uh, he's a catcher, and that would make me a little nervous as far as you know the length of the deal and uh, whether he's his body's going to hold up throughout the length of the deal. But um, you know he may benefit from the potential rule change to allow DH in the NL. Um, so I think uh, the Phillies were a little forward thinking in that. Um, and, if, and, and, you know, as far as keeping up with the rest of the NL East, and the NL East is looking really good, um, if you look at that, the two through five spots for for Philly, um, you've got Harper, Real Muto, Hoskins, and and Baum. Um, man, that's that's a that heart. The heart of that order is really looking good. So so you know, I think without without making this signing, they kind of drift off outside of the the playoff conversation. By making this signing, this kind of keeps them in the playoff conversation. Um, There's they still have some needs. They need a shortstop. Uh, they need a starting pitcher. They need some relief pitching. But at least th- this team, as constructed right now, uh, could could fight for a playoff spot, particularly if the if the playoff spots are uh, are expanded. Yeah, I mean, it certainly was a move they had to make. Again, when you look at baseball, I think that's more so than any other sport where you have to compete with those teams in your division, and you're seeing them a lot more than, again, in other sports. Um, if the Phillies don't re-sign JT Real Muto, that almost looks like a white flag to me, in my opinion, especially when you look at the way their season went last year. And yes, granted, 60-game season, we've said before, we're not putting too much stock into that, but... I think indicative for Philadelphia, we'll put a little more stock into theirs, you know, than than a lot of other teams. But it is a good point with Bryce Harper lobbying for this guy as well, because you went out and you gave Bryce all this money. You're you're going to listen to him. You know, what I mean, when when he when he speaks, if he says y'all should do something, Nick, you're going to listen. And when you just look at JT Romito and his numbers in general, I mean, there's no reason why he shouldn't get that contract. And of course, as we know, like Leroy said getting on 30 years old, a five-year contract as a catcher. The thing with JT Real Muto is even if his defense miraculously drops off, which he could drop off his defense a decent bit, still be a pretty good catcher in the MLB. But he's also a guy, if you put him anywhere, especially if the National League has the DH, you want that offense. He's bringing you offense as an, like he's an outfielder from behind the plate, you know. And when it comes to today's MLB where the catchers aren't, you know, aren't quite that. I think that's a big part of this deal that gets a little bit overlooked because you're not only you're getting the best catcher in baseball, but you are getting just overall one of the better players as well. And we've seen this time and time again with great catchers. They get the 32, 33, throw them at first base. They sometimes turn out to be some of the better first basemen in the league, you know, and with a guy like JT Real Muto, I have no reason to think why, you know, say to go down that route four years into his contract as he gets up in age, He's not going to be productive because I'm sure he will. Just the Phillies team around him, we're not so certain how that's going to look come that time. But next, we're going to go to our uh, another big signing we were waiting to happen. Now, this one strikes us a little harder as Oriole fans. As former Houston Astro George Springer signs a six-year, $150 million deal with the Toronto slash Buffalo. Guess you want to say for now, Blue Jays. Um, wow, this is a power move. I mean... The Blue Jays kind of came out of, I don't want to say came out of nowhere last year. We know the farm system they had cooking up and the prospects and all that with Nate Pearson also coming out on the mound, Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr., all of them. Then you go out and get arguably the best, one of the best corner outfielders, you know, presume he's going to play the corner outfield like he was in Houston. Um, 
or even if he is in center, just one of the better outfielders in the game. I mean, you know, we all seen what he can do in the playoffs. You know what he can do now as a veteran with a very young team. I thought this was a very, very good pickup. Um, like I said, it hurts a little bit as we're going to see him a lot now, you know, as Oriole fans. But in terms of where the Toronto Blue Jays are at right now, this was a fantastic pickup. Um, like I said, we saw them in the playoffs last year. And they were just slightly lacking that firepower to get past the the uh, Tampa Bay Rays in that you know wild card series. So I think this is going to be the move that really you know makes them a thing in the uh, in the AL East. So I want to go to you, Leroy, first. I want to hear what you think about this signing. Well, first of all, I've got a petition started to move the Baltimore Orioles out of the AL East and move them to the AL West. Agreed. So be, be on the lookout for that. Uh, shoot, this is great for the Blue Jays. So, you know, the Blue Jays go through this every few years, right? They spend a lot of money bringing big-name free agents, and it fizzles. It happened in 2005. They signed huge contracts to A.J. Burnett and B.J. Ryan and uh, for the next five years didn't make the playoffs. And in 14, they signed uh, Josh Donaldson and Russ Martin, and it, it really didn't go anywhere. But this feels different. Um, they, the Blue Jays have just this young core that's already good, and now they add Springer, they add uh, Simeon. And um, I, I'll tell you, I know we're, we're running short on time, so I won't go deep into it, but I think they may have one of the Major League Baseball's best lineups, not just this year, but for years to come. Um, they're they're going to be dangerous for a while. Blue Jays, uh, 2021 AL East champions. I'll call it now if, if they get some pitching. Yeah, Justin, I'm glad you prefaced it. I mean, everybody here is a well-documented Orioles fan, but I, I got to say, I love what Toronto's doing. Um, and then bringing in Marcus Semien, too, is another one. I mean, I'm the kind of the secondhand A's guy here too so of course I was like just I'm glad to see him go to a good team more than anything I believe he'll play second base maybe move Bichette or I'm sorry Bichette will stay at third uh, shortstop but that infield is stacked and you got a loaded outfield now with Springer Guriel Gritchick I said this before you know I think Springer's going to be the anchor of this team I think the six-year contract was deserved whatever your thoughts are on his role with the Astros you know I think he's going to come out really refreshed this year have a clean start I think it's likely going to reflect in his numbers. And like I said, that's just my objective opinion of what's going to happen with Springer. I think it was just a great signing by Toronto. And Simeon's been one of my favorite shortstops. So to see him go off the board to them is such a good move. And like you said, I mean, if you're a free agent, why wouldn't you go to Toronto? They got so much young talent. You want to go to a team that's going to pay you well, not make the playoffs. Do you don't really have a future there? Or do you want to spend six years with really good players that are going to develop? So I thought it was odd they signed Simeon to a one-year 18 million dollar deal instead of maybe trying to lock him up but that's a clear sign they're trying to win right now and uh man I, I i think the blue jays are contenders for the al east and maybe the entire american league this year i, I leroy you said it i mean that's one of the toughest lineups we're going to see in baseball this year so i think they're a team to look out for and you know it's tough as orioles fans but if it's not the yankees or red Sox, you know what can you do <laughs> Yeah, certainly a good move on on both of them. I look at the George Springer signing is there's all these free agent signings where you're signing a good free agent. Then there's free agent signings where you're going out and getting your guy. You know, the Blue Jays went out and they got their guy. And then with Marcus Simeon here for 18 mil for one year, I do think that is a little crazy. But again, that like you said, Davis, that kind of does show they're going to win now. And the biggest thing you see with playoff teams is they finally break that barrier. They get in the playoffs. It's almost like a get your feet in the water, and then next year you dive in head first. You know, so it bless my Oriole heart, but I would say I'm a little excited to see what the Blue Jays um have cooking up for this upcoming season. Luckily for us, we'll get to see a lot of that. Justin, you mentioned um, you mentioned the, the Springer in the playoffs. So Springer's pl played in 63 postseason games in his career. That's more than the entire uh, Toronto Blue Jays roster combined. And then my big thought with that also, when we look, when we all t we talked a lot about the Astros. I mean, man, I had a field day all last season. You know, making fun of them. If you look at one guy who seemed completely unaffected by it, it, it was George Springer. He seemed like he was the only one who came out last year and was actually hitting the ball. I'm going to talk about a $150 million contract. I mean, this man deserves it, and he's getting it on a team where he's going to play a big part, like we're saying, in that what is going to be a very good lineup. So speaking of the Yankees, they might have to look out a little bit, but they are certainly uh, acquiring the rotation to compete 
in that division and the rest of the league in itself is uh here they have just acquired james Talion from the pirates i mean this is just take candy from a baby over and over there's poor pirates i mean they got four prospects for tallying here this is what bugs me is they they yankees will go out and get who potentially here might be their number two starter and they don't give up a single top 10 prospect out of four i i think that's a little alarming to me we we know how the pirates have been this offseason i mean leroy you had one of your rants about that but i think that's crazy to me i'm sorry i don't mean to rant about that myself but it's almost like like the pirates signed a deal to take over as the staten island yankees as their other minor league team at this point you know so um real quick i want to hear what you guys have to think about that leroy i'll, I'll go to you first yeah i was going to say the same thing the pirates have basically become the yankees triple a team it's it's uh you know, first of all, from a, from a Pirates perspective, just go back and listen to the last couple podcasts. You know, I, I hate it. I, I hate that they can't resign their stars. Listen to what their uh, what their um, rotation could look like. Garrett Cole, James Tyon, Charlie Morton, and Tyler, Tyler Glass now should be the Pirates' uh, top four, but it's not. Uh, as far as the Yankees go, so the Yankees are really, um, you know, they're, they're kind of mimicking their, their lineup, their their home runner strikeout this this coming year, particularly when it comes to their pitching staff. Uh, they got a lot of guys on their, uh, you know, on their team in general, pitching staff in particular, that, um, that are either going to uh, come out and compete with one another for Cy Youngs, or they're going to end up on the uh, the injured list. So um, if everything works out, the Yankees are are going to be playing the Dodgers or Padres in the World Series. If it falls apart, uh, you know, they'll be lucky to sneak in as a wild card. In worst case scenario, they finish behind the uh, the Baltimore Orioles <laughs> if everything falls apart. But, you know, they're taking a lot of chances on these guys with injury histories. Um, I think Tyon, he's had at least one Tommy John, maybe two. Um, but you know, looking at the at their starting lineup, Cole, Tyon, Kluber, um, in June, uh, they could get back Severino. That's a nasty uh, front four there. Um, if if everything works out like it like it they want it to. And real quick, Davis, before I go to you, I want to say the one big thing we've heard the last we watched the Yankees go to the last three LCSs. Um, in a way, you could say blow it in all the last three. Um. The only thing that is stopping them from truly being an absolute Dodger, Los Angeles Dodger powerhouse is, is, is their pitching. And then what do they do? I mean, they go out and just get some of the better name pitchers here. And again, it, it, they did it like they just robbed the baby. So that's really going to be interesting to see how that works out. But Davis, I'll jump over to you real quick. Yeah, it's always foolish to sleep on the Yankees, especially coming off of last year, which was a shortened season. It was an up and down year for them, and I fully expected them to come out firing in free agency. They always have money to spend, and Tyone really beefs up New York's rotation. I think they really needed it. Um, Leroy kind of pointed out though, there's bringing in him and Kluber is two high, low risk, high reward type of guys, and I think man, uh, it could it could be a really good rotation. Um, and he didn't pitch in 2020 because of Tommy John, but it's he's a career 367 ERA. So I think, you know, if he can stay healthy, this is a great move for them. And, um, you know, the Yankees are a team that you just can never sleep on. So I'm not going to knock them too hard for last season because they're, they, they're just always going to come back strong. And that lineup they have is so powerful that, you know, sometimes the pitching uh, can just be decent enough to get you through, kind of like we've seen with the Dodgers in the past. Yeah, I certainly think that uh, pitching staff is going to propel them to a whole other level. Um, my heart tells me I don't want that, but as a baseball fan, that's going to be a poetic, very poetic uh, rotation to watch. So I think that'll be exciting. But real quick, we're going to finish up here shortly. We're going to run over to our uh, friend Jared. He's going to give us our seventh inning stretch. All right, boys. We've got to start off the stretch every week with the trivia question. We already know Leroy and Justin are tied one-to-one. Davis holding the zero, but he still can come back, and maybe he'll do it today. Here is the trivia question this week. Who was the first Major League Baseball player to pitch a ball over 100 miles an hour? Think about it. Let me hear some guesses. I'd go Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan or Randy Johnson. (laughs) 
for the first time in the walk-off's history, all three of you got the question correctly. It was Nolan Ryan. Nice job, guys. On September 7th, 1974, in a game against the White Sox, the Angels pitcher Nolan Ryan became the first player to break the 100-mile-per-hour barrier when one of his pitches was officially clocked in at 100.8 miles per hour. Great job, guys. You each got a point this week. Let's go. We're on the board for all of us. Davis, unfortunately for you, they both got it right as well, but you are on the board. Let's go. Here we go. Seventh inning stretch time. This might be a little bit of a lengthy one, but we got to get through these moves. So we have a lot of middle infield signings to get you this week on the seventh inning stretch. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the seventh inning stretch. Okay, first off, the Twins have reached an agreement with free agent shortstop Andrelton Simmons on a one-year $10.5 million contract. This move uh, will force Jorge Polanco to go over to second base, while Luis Arraz will fulfill a utility role for the Twins. Uh, next, the Indians are nearing, nearing a deal to re-sign second baseman Cesar Hernandez to one-year $5 million with a club option for 2022. He will lock up second base for that new-look Cleveland team after the departure of Francisco Lindor. Um, next, Tommy LaStella is staying in the Bay Area, except this time he'll be playing for the San Francisco Giants deal isn't finalized yet but it's being reported that it will be for three years that's that's pretty crazy uh shortstop freddie galvis heading to baltimore to our beloved o's on a one-year 1.5 million dollar deal galvis gives the o's a veteran man up the middle while also giving the team leverage at the trade deadline and lastly for the infield uh middle infielder jerks and pro farm returning to the padres on a three-year 21 million dollar deal it's gonna be interesting to see his role uh he might be fortunate in that utility uh, role as well. Two catchers have found new homes around the league as Wilson Ramos has signed a one-year deal worth around $2 million uh, to the Detroit Tigers. He returns to the AL Central for the first time since the beginning of his career with the Minnesota Twins. And Blake Swihart signed a minor league deal with the Washington Nationals as he will fight for the backup role during spring training, of course, behind Mr. Jan Gomes. And finally... We have some pitching signings here. Two left-handers have found new homes this season. Closer Brad Hand is heading to the nation's capital on a one-year $10.5 million deal. He will fight for that ninth-inning role with names like Daniel Hudson and Sean Doolittle. Aaron Loop is heading to the Mets on a one-year deal pending a fiscal. And right before we came on the show, it was announced that right-handed side armor, uh, of course, one of our favorites, Darren O'Day, has signed with the Yankees one-year 2.5 million he returns with his good buddy zach Britton in that yankee bullpen that seems ever so dangerous but guys i'm gonna give it back to you uh great show today by the way thank you jared it's, we can all see that uh off season's finally starting to really heat up there as we had a, a lot of moves but unfortunately it's about time for us i'm, I'm gonna give us a this is pretty cool today in baseball history is we know once we're getting into january and all that it's a little abstract of these these uh findings here but this this one i thought was pretty funny back in 1937 on january 27th uh the cincinnati experiences the worst flood <clears throat> in its history when the mill creek overflows its banks so what this happened was the entire crossley field's lower stand was submerged in like 20 feet of water so naturally their pitcher lee grissom and the team's traveling secretary hop into a kayak and go from left field to the pitcher's mound in a boat in the water in red stadium so i thought that was pretty funny tell you if camden yards ever floods the last thing i'm doing is hopping in the boat and getting to the pitcher's mound but i hope you all enjoyed uh today's episode we're looking forward to seeing you next time but for now it is time to walk it off <laughs>